Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We've been working our way through 1 Peter, this incredible letter that Peter the Apostle wrote to these elect exiles in order to comfort them with the gospel in the midst of their suffering. In the first chapter, in the verses we've already looked at, he's laid out just this wonderfully rich theology of the gospel, teaching them, reminding them, and reminding us of the hope that we have in the gospel, a hope that depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ, on God's mercy, on his grace, not on our circumstances. There's so much freedom knowing that the hope we have doesn't depend on the circumstances of our life, but on God and his grace and his redemptive work through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. His work in causing us to be born again to a living hope, to a perfectly secure inheritance. Well, we've worked our way up to verse 22 of the first chapter. Let me read verses 22 through 25. We won't make it through all of these verses this morning, but let me read these verses and then I will pray for us and offer a few comments. This is what Peter writes. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Here, Peter is once again calling them back to the word of God. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we too come back again to the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself that we might know you. We thank you that you have sent your son to die, that we might have life, that we might have hope in this life. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us now as we look at your word that we might be strengthened by your spirit, that we might understand your word, that we might believe it, that we might accept it, that we might bear fruit in light of it. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, Peter begins this section where the point of this section really is a call to love. There's this imperative that is given at the end of verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But he begins, as we've talked about, with these indicative statements. Actually, he sandwiches this imperative of love. He sandwiches it between two participles, two, in, two, two participles that, that say something about us, that lay the foundation for him to be able to then give the imperative to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First of all, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Having purified your souls. 
Now, how, how have they purified their souls? We've already laid out that this is God's work in saving our souls. We see in verses 8 and 9, through uh, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, all of this talking about Jesus, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter has already established that what that, that the salvation of our souls, the purification of our souls, this comes through faith in Christ. So when we come here, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, we, we've got to read that in light of the context. We don't read this and say, oh, okay, well, somehow they have obeyed God's law, and therefore by doing that, they have cleaned themselves up. No, that's not what's going on here. Obedience to the truth, which is a, a, a unique phrase in Scripture. The, the, this exact construction is only found here. What we see here is that this is talking about the gospel, about believing the gospel. Peter has already introduced the idea of obedience in the second verse. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's why he's writing to these elect exiles, that they might know Christ, that they might learn him, that they might learn the gospel, that they might be sprinkled with his blood, that is, that they might be cleansed. Now, he introduces this word, having purified yourselves, a word that is commonly used in in the Greek Old Testament and in the New Testament for being set apart for service to God, being consecrated having purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. By coming to Jesus, by learning this obedience for which he is writing, the sprinkling with blood, this ritual purification has taken place. Their souls are now pure because we would say they have believed the gospel. And it has a particular purpose or result. They've been purified by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Some take this as result. Some take this as purpose. That that is that the the brotherly love is the purpose for which their souls have been purified, or that it's the result of their souls being purified. These, though, we we want to make a decision here, and and we don't want to just kind of say it can mean everything. Uh, th- these aren't mutually exclusive ideas. On the one hand, we are purified, we are made clean, we are redeemed that we might love. Love, Paul tells us, is the fulfilling of the law. It's, it's the, the, that to which we as Christians are called. But we also know that we can't love unless we are made new. We can't love with this sincere brotherly love. We can't love others as ourselves unless we have, in fact, been purified, unless we have, in fact, been given the mind of Christ. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, in light of that, he says, because that is your reality, because that is your new identity, because that is your new standing, because that is your new state, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We we see here that this imperative, this command to love one another flows from the realities of the gospel in our life. 
It flows from the fact that we have been purified. It flows from the fact that we believe in Jesus and so are made new. In light of that, he tells us, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the call of the Christian life. That's the call of Christ, to to love each other earnestly. Now, why might he be driving home this particular imperative? Well, think about the context. There are these elect exiles. They've already likely lost everything, and they've been shipped off to these faraway areas. Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, all those different places. And there they're having to make a new life for themselves. Now, they, though separated by, you know, a couple thousand years, they are very much like us. Their hearts are bent in on themselves as well. They are prone to look out for number one and to be concerned more than anything for themselves. How much more does that self-concern grow when we find ourselves in a time of suffering? When we find ourselves in times of stress? When we find ourselves in times of need? Our flesh doesn't at that point say, you know what? It's okay. Take care of everybody else. No, our flesh rears up and says, you know what? Watch out for yourself. Get yours first. So a call to love each other. That reminder that that's the life that Christians are called to live even in the face of persecution is quite pertinent, isn't it? That that in times even of suffering, the command to love others as we would love ourselves, the the commands to consider others more important than ourselves, those commands don't change. That's exactly where we are to die to ourselves and love one another earnestly from a pure heart, a heart devoted to Christ. That's the call of the Christian. That's the call of God to his people. This is why Paul says love is the fulfilling of the law. How difficult we find it to love in times of stress. But this is exactly what Peter calls them to. Again, not that they may be saved, but because they have purified their souls by obedience to the truth, because they are grounded in the gospel. He brings this home with this second participle in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he, he sandwiches this imperative between these two gospel realities. Having purified your souls... Love one another since you have been born again. This born again idea is the same one that we came across earlier in his letter. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the motivation of the Christian life. That's what undergirds the Christian life. It's because of God's gracious work in us that we 
can now love, that we can now do that to which we have been called by God. This is how utterly transforming the gospel is, that because we have this hope, even in the midst of suffering, when our flesh calls out to us to take care of itself, even in that moment, we can love others from a pure heart, truly seeking their good. And that's what Peter calls these elect exiles to, and that's what he calls us to. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Might we learn to do that as we learn to rest in Christ. Amen. Amen.